Welcome to the 1-0 Podcast, hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. The 1-0 Podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy Podcast channel. Today, on Episode 3, we'll talk about Texas's recent win against Rice and what little to some we can take from it. We'll move on to this week's matchup with Oklahoma State, whose offense Tom Herman described as the scariest environment imaginable. We'll talk a little bit more about the three main players for Oklahoma State and Tylen Wallace, Shuba Hubbard, and Spencer Sanders. And then finally, with the Rangers' remaining games in Globe Life Park approaching single digits, we'll find out what Brad's favorite memory is of a ballpark I've only been to once. So listen to both our show and the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast hosted by Kevin Dunn and Paul Wadlington. Subscribe to our channel wherever you get your podcasts. We are now on iTunes. And please leave a review to let us know what you'd like to hear us talk about. And if you want to reach out to us directly, please send us emails at everyone, that's the number one, gets a trophy at gmail.com. Again, everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. And we also have a little bit of help to put this podcast together as well. Yeah, absolutely. We want to give some love to our two sponsors. We've got AV Consultations, that's audiovisual consultations, the place to go. The place to call, 255-8678. When you want the home TV setup of your dreams, audiovisual consultations can make it happen. They've been taking care of folks in the central Texas area for 31 years. If you want that epic man cave or that home theater in the comfort of your own home, they can make it happen, avconsultations.com. And also Altstadt Beer. It is German beer made here, the best beer that you can find in central Texas, brewed in Fredericksburg, but available wherever you buy your six-packs here in the ATX. It is the official beer of BK and the official beer of this podcast. It should be the official beer of you as well. It's Altstadt Beer. No impurities, no regrets. So big Southwest Conference rivalry. You know, (laughs) only big things happen when Rice plays Texas and uh, big things did happen. Texas covered, which was about the remaining intrigue that was available as that game went on. And uh, like you mentioned a little bit before we started recording, there's one person you'd really like to thank, uh, American hero you described him as. Yes, not the, her- not the hero we need, but the hero we deserve, and that is Deshaun Jameson, who returned a kickoff for a touchdown with just under a minute to go in Texas's 48-13 victory over Rice. Uh, Rice had just scored with 107 left on the clock to make it a 28-point game. The line was 31-32 in that range, so that touchdown for Rice gave the Owls the cover, but uh, Deshaun Jameson doing it for the folks out in Vegas, getting the job done, returning that kickoff for a touchdown, and that's the only way it would have happened for Texas, right? If he gets stopped short, the Longhorns are going to kneel the clock out, game over, Longhorns don't cover, but uh, Deshaun Jameson returning that kickoff for a touchdown gave Texas the cover on the side and also hit the over in the game as well. It was a double kill for Deshaun Jameson, so we appreciate your service, my friend. Thank you very much. Please do not gamble. It is illegal in the state of Texas. Exactly. So with that big of a margin of victory for Texas, there's only so much you can really take away from it. I mean, we know that the better team won in all aspects of the game for pretty much all four quarters. So I think you and I both have about three pretty brief takeaways that we want to get to. Uh, we can kind of go through those pretty quickly. I Mine are mainly player-related. I'm not sure about yours, but I'll go with the first one. Mine is... Juwan Mitchell can play linebacker. Yeah. Number six, uh, playing in the middle uh, against Rice. Uh, Their offense really dictates a lot of what the linebackers have to do, and it's reading and reacting in between gaps or 
picking which gap to go to. He didn't have to move backwards that much and, and be ready and have to be ready to play any sort of passing game. But when he had to move forward and find a lane to hit the ball carrier, he did. Uh, he was rewarded with several tackles for loss. I believe he even got a sack. And he was just making plays on the ball, reading, reacting. And he was doing it better than any of the other middle linebackers who saw action, in my opinion. Yeah, he was really impressive. Wearing number six out there, right? When I first saw him on the field, I was like, what's Devin Duvernay doing playing defense? No, that's Jawan Mitchell. And he did tie for the team lead in tackles with five. He did have a sack, as you mentioned. And I was hopeful, I was optimistic that one of the two Juco transfer linebackers the Longhorns got was going to be an impact player this year. We saw what Gary Johnson did for this team for a couple of years as a Juco transfer. He was a beast and became one of the most important players of this Texas defense while he was here. I was hoping either, maybe both, but either Jawan Mitchell or Caleb Johnson would step up. Jawan Mitchell is clearly that guy based off what he did on Saturday, and I think his role is going to increase. You know, Delia Dayway is a solid player. But I don't think, and based off what the coaches say, I don't think the coaches think that a day away has done anything to really separate himself and make him the obvious clear-cut number one starter, the guy who's going to get every snap at that middle linebacker position. So I think uh, Juwan Mitchell's got a chance to steal some snaps moving forward, and you saw what he could do in a small sample, but you saw a little bit of it last week against Rice. Right, and and even with what you're mentioning, a day away still a redshirt freshman, I believe, or, or uh, yeah, I, I don't think he's a yeah. true sophomore yet. So there's still time for him, and, and like you mentioned, you hoped that one of those Juco guys hit. And one seems to have hit, and one totally missed because he ended up in the transfer portal. Uh, Caleb Johnson, the other guy you mentioned. He's, yeah, tip of the cap to you, by the way. You guys at Inside Texas, and you in particular, had that report early on this week. So he was a guy that battled a little bit of a shoulder issue throughout when he first got here, uh, and then just n- never really got it together enough to make an impact. Uh, no, I, I know ESPN, I believe, has stats for him, but I list him as having participated in any of these first three games, and I, you know, it was just not not something I guess that worked out for him, and he was ready to time, or he was ready to explore some other options. But yeah, Juwan Mitchell, that's that's important because we've seen how much linebackers have been picked apart in this conference, specifically Texas linebackers, and not to pick on him, but specifically Anthony Wheeler. That was a guy who was very good coming downhill, but when he was asked to play, make plays in coverage, it was a big issue for him. Mm-hmm. And I asked. You know, Todd Orlando was asked about this at his press conference on, on Wednesday. Can he, you know, he, he made all these plays. He had this solid showing. People knew who he was. Can he do it in this conference when he's going to not be facing quarterbacks under center? He's going to be facing some dynamic athletes. Yeah, and, there's not going to be 23 personnel anymore for right. Texas. And, and Orlando was, was confident in his ability. He said he can make plays on the ball. He, he really believes that Jawan Mitchell can be a solid middle linebacker in the Big 12 and be a solid guy alongside Jeffrey McCulloch. So that was one of the biggest takeaways I saw from from this Rice game, just how maybe they found a guy who's got some instincts at middle linebacker and can start making plays from a spot that's often picked on in the Big 12. And one of my biggest takeaways is what the hell is Rice doing? Do they know it's 2019? Like what are they trying to accomplish running the offense that they run? They're back in the Stone Ages there, and it's clearly not working. I know they're completely trying to revamp their program, and it's only year two under Mike Bloomgren. And look, running this type of offense as the offensive coordinator at Stanford for six years, he had some success. But I always feel like when you're a smaller school who doesn't bring in high-caliber recruits, you got to be innovative. you got to come up with something new that other teams haven't seen. I'm just uh, I'm not sure if I buy into what Rice is doing. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, actual takeaway from Texas – 
for me, Jake Smith. How can it not be? Six catches, 75 yards, two touchdowns, the leading receiver for the Longhorns this past Saturday. We knew he was good, and we've seen him on the field at times in the first two weeks, the games against La Tech and LSU, but to actually see him get into the end zone a couple of times was pretty cool. He's a weapon, man. Mm -hmm. He is a weapon, and he was not an early enrollee, so he didn't get here until the fall. I think if he was an in-for-spring guy, then he'd be playing a lot more than he already is. But, man, he's going to be a guy that's tough to leave off the field moving forward. I know technically he's, he plays the same position as Devin Duvernay does, but moving forward, I would love to see Jake Smith and Devin Duvernay on the field. Maybe some 10 personnel, mm. right? Maybe you take Cade Brewer off the field, you give him a, a few less snaps, especially when you're lining him up outside and you bring Jake Smith in. So you've got Colin Johnson, Brandon Eagles, Devin Duvernay, and Jake Smith on the field at the same time. I don't know if there's a secondary in the country that can account for all of that talent that Texas has at the wide receiver position. So great to see Jake Smith ball out. The Longhorns have a good one in their true freshman receiver. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I think, you know, Tom Herman talks about getting his best 11 on the field, and it's it's only been three games, and Devin Duvernay is still ahead of him. But if your second slot receiver is Jake Smith, that's going a long way to making sure that no matter who you throw out there for that kind of top 13 or so, that's still putting a really solid 11 out there. And I do agree that, you know, I don't think Cade Brewer and Reese Leto have performed poorly, but I don't think they've performed – great or even up to the level that Andrew Beck did last year and it might be exploring when you have two lethal slot receivers and two very solid outside guys why not put all that skill on the field it's what other teams in this conference have done successfully for the past I don't know 15 or so years yeah maybe it's time for Texas to give it a try and I know Tom Herman kind of gave it a mention he was asked about it is there a way to get both Devin and Jake on the field at the same time he kind of dismissed it. It didn't seem like it was something he was particularly interested in doing. We know how much Tom Herman likes 11 personnel, and we also know how good Devin Duvernay has been. So it, it might not be something that Tom Herman does, but you know, from our perspective, it's something, why, why not? This, yeah. is, this is a way to get four really good playmakers on the field at the same time. And if you're not going to at least do it through 10 personnel – Maybe you sub out Keontae Ingram and let Jake Smith play in that spot when you go to a five-wide set because those five-wide sets have also been phenomenal for Texas this year. It's been where some of Texas's best plays have come from, especially in third-down situations. Why not try and get all those receivers on the field? Even if it does telegraph, you, you have faith in your guys, right? You, are, you automatically preach or you preach to your quarterbacks that one-on-one -on -one isn't covered. Well, why don't you try and get your guys out there and, and – run the best plays possible with the best players. Yeah, what you had last year with Andrew Beck, he wasn't much of a receiving threat, but he could block. He was a great blocker. I mean, he made NFL rosters because he is a great blocker. I almost have him playing fullback at the next level. Cade Brewer, Reese Leto, those guys aren't great blockers by any stretch, and they're not great receiving threats. I mean, maybe they're more of a receiving threat than Andrew Beck was last year, but they're not the receiving threat that Jake Smith is. So I just don't see a whole lot of a point, and I hope that's not something that bogs this Texas offense down, is Tom Herman's insistence to go 11 personnel. Because he was asked, you mentioned the question about Jake Smith and Devin Duvernay being on the field at the same time. He was also asked this Monday about the tight ends. I think whoever asked the question was kind of hinting towards what we're talking about, and Tom Herman said he thinks they're playing great and says both Cade and Reese graded out as champions against Rice. Neither of those guys had a catch. 11 guys caught a football for Texas last week against Rice, and neither of them were the tight ends. Now I know more goes into that in the grading scale than just having a reception, but 
I mean, if these guys aren't getting open against Rice, I don't quite see the point of them being on the field. And I was shocked to hear Tom Herman say that they've been great this year. But once again, that might be his insistence on having those dudes out there. I don't want to take a shot at Cade Brewer and Reese Leto. I think they can be important pieces to this football team. But in this conference, Joe, you want to have as many weapons as you possibly can on the field. Right now, Jake Smith is a weapon. I'm not sure either of the tight ends that Texas has is a weapon right now. No, they're not. All they are right now is kind of blocking surfaces. And, yeah. and that's that's not a bad thing. I mean, we've seen guys make the NFL doing that. But if you want to add more explosiveness, like so many people harped on last year, like people harped on at the beginning of this year, Maybe adding more receivers is the way to do it. But I guess there's another takeaway to be had, and this one's a little bit more negative, and it stays with middle linebacker. We kind of mentioned him already. Aodelia Dayaway. There were some times when he he did record a sack, he did look okay, but there was definitely some times when he didn't look like he knew what he was doing. And, and there was this was a guy that Tom Herman, I think, taught Orlando praise as one of the best high school linebackers that they've ever seen. I... I'm pretty sure that a lot of responsibility for both of Rice's touchdowns come from Aodelia Dayaway's play. Mm-hmm. I think he had responsibility on the back and the backfield for both those goal line plays. Now, the fact that Rice was able to get to the goal line, of course, that's a that's a whole defense issue, not just one spotlight on on Delhi. But Delhi's responsibility on both those goal line plays was a running back. And he wasn't able to cover the running back either of those times because he got way too close to the line of scrimmage, got caught in the in the trash, and was able to or was not able to bounce outside and cover his man. Now, would he have been able to athletically? I don't know. That rice back was given a pretty good burst out of the backfield, mm-hmm. but there's no question that Delhi wasn't there to make his assignment, and that's not something we've seen him do successfully that much this year. He hasn't been super assignment sound. He's made some plays. He's been in in, in his, in some tackles, but he hasn't been a guy that you can rely on out there right by Jeffrey McCulloch to say, yes, we know that this guy is going to be able to find the ball when they run it. He's going to be able to hold his own when they pass it. I haven't seen that that much from him this year, and that was even against Rice. Yeah, well, that's an interesting point, and I'm curious. Let's use a team like Oklahoma State coming to town this weekend. Uh, I wonder how much Delia Dayway plays this weekend, right? Because it was two years ago. When the Cowboys came to Austin in that 13-10 punt fest, the double overtime or the overtime affair, we'll get to that one a little bit later. But that was when Todd Orlando unveiled the lightning package, the dime defense, six defensive backs on the field and only a couple of linebackers. I'm curious. I think we might see a decent amount of that on Saturday. Now, Oklahoma State's got a stud running back in Chuba Hubbard, who leads college football in rushing yards through three weeks. He's really, really good, but. I think this defense is relying a lot on its defensive backs to make plays, so I wonder if your two linebackers you see are McCulloch and Osai out there. Now, Osai's got a shoulder sprain. It sounds like he's going to try to give it a go on Saturday. We'll see how effective he can actually be. But if Delia Dayaway is on the field early on and he's missing assignments like he was a little bit this past Saturday, maybe Juwan Mitchell gets some snaps, or maybe Texas just goes to that lightning package with six defensive backs and only two linebackers. And if you remember that, that iteration of the Lightning Package, that 2017 version, it was Malik Jefferson and it was Gary Johnson, mm-hmm. two lightning-fast players for the linebacker position, two decently physical players, although maybe a little bit undersized for a traditional middle linebacker. Last year when they tried to run it, it was Anthony Wheeler and, and, uh, and Gary Johnson. And Anthony Wheeler is not the same athlete as those guys. And I think what you suggested, having Jeffrey McCulloch and Joseph Osai out there, that gets your most athletic linebackers on the field. 
And one of those linebackers, probably in a spell situation, is going to be Juwan Mitchell, and it's probably not going to be Aodeli a day away. So I, I, I agree with you. I think you'll see a lot of dime. The kind of question is who are going to be those edge guys, mm-hmm. the, the nickel spot. Brandon Jones has kind of become one of them now, almost out of necessity with injuries to uh, B.J. Foster and, and DeMarvion Overshone. Josh Thompson still has not shown that he can play either of those edge nickel spots or dime or joker very effectively at this point. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do, but I think you're right. You need to have the best athletes at linebacker on the field, and that's probably going to be Osai and and uh, McCulloch. And I guess it's also – it's it, there should be some credit given to Orlando because Joseph Osai, his whole career, uh, high school all the way to last year, edge player, edge rusher, guy getting the passer, or guy kind of playing the flat. Mm-hmm. Or Todd Orlando has gotten him to be pretty serviceable, I feel like, as a middle linebacker. He's not – excelling at this point I don't think but I don't think he's doing anything right now to where you're like we cannot have 46 out there in the middle he's he's held his own and he's still learning the position and it's only kind of at the bottom of the or he still has a long way to learn at that position I think you're at the point where you have to have 46 on the field for every snap like he's that good and he's an impact player for this Longhorn defense and his health is a big question mark for this team moving forward you know it's great that there's a bye week next week but Man, Osai is a very instrumental part of the success of this defense. You could argue he, Brandon Jones, maybe Chris Brown, maybe you know, maybe Malcolm Roach, those are your top guys, your most consistent defensive players that you've seen through three weeks so far. Joseph Osai has been a big-time player for this team. He's got to be on the field, and I agree with you. When he's been in at middle linebacker, he's done a fine job. Another takeaway for me, Sam Ellinger's really good, man. He is really good. 23 of 27 for 279 and three touchdowns. The bigger story, though, Ellinger continues to climb up the record books at the University of Texas. Uh, He passed Vince Young to move into fifth place all time in terms of passing touchdowns at UT. How about this? Through three games, Sam Ellinger has 11 passing touchdowns. That matches Colt McCoy back in 2008 for the best three-game start by a Texas quarterback in school history. Uh, he is the first Longhorn quarterback to throw for at least three touchdowns in three straight games since Colt McCoy did it back in 2008. He became the sixth player in school history with at least 7,000 yards of total offense, the seventh Texas quarterback to surpass 6,000 passing yards during his Texas career, and he's got the most total offense and touchdowns responsible for since Colt McCoy back in 2008. So last year the comparison started. And we felt good that, all right, man, we've got the best quarterback we've had since Colt McCoy. But now Sam Ellinger is proving it. And the start that he's on this year, yeah, two kind of cakewalk opponents. But, man, the job that he did against LSU proves that this guy is ready for the big time. He has been phenomenal. And it's so nice to not have any sort of quarterback debate or controversy or, or question mark. Sam Ellinger, you almost don't have to talk about him because he's been so consistently good. You just expect him to perform every Saturday, and he has absolutely gotten the job done this year for the Horns. Yeah, exactly. I think, isn't it Rod Babers that talks about quarterback purgatory or something like that mm-hmm. all the time? He's helped lead Texas out of quarterback purgatory and into almost quarterback nirvana. No, he's Moses leading the Longhorns through the desert, man. That's what he's doing. Exactly. So he has done so much. He's exceeded expectations not only last year, but even this year. I mean, this is a guy that people still kind of characterize, oh, he's just a runner or a fullback who who throws every now and then. He is not. He is a true quarterback who's a physical presence on the field, and Texas hasn't had something like that. I don't know if Colt McCoy was a physical presence on the field. He was a great quarterback, don't get me wrong, but – 
I don't know if he was a, a physical presence that could make plays and punish you mm-hmm. like like Sam Ellinger is able to do. Now, we'll see if, if that's what Texas tries to do against Oklahoma State, how much they're willing to put on his plate running-wise in conference games, especially with a bye week coming up. But, yeah, I 100% agree. Because if you remember on those first few drives, I think in the first half, there were some third and long plays. And it was kind of like, why, why is Texas in third and long? And then something Sam Ellinger did made it first down pretty quickly. Yeah. Had a quick pass to Devin DuVernay when he was uncovered. Bam, first down. Uh, had a, I think he might have had two really good um, passes to the sideline to Malcolm Epps, who made solid plays on the ball. So this is a guy who's not only just making the easy plays, he's starting to make some of the more difficult ones as well. Agreed. Like you go from the Jake Smith touchdown, who probably you or I could throw, uh, as long as we don't underthrow Jake Smith, to you know that quick slant to Devin Duvernay, recognizing it quickly. Mm-hmm. I don't wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't be able to do any of this stuff. <laughs> but not all quarterbacks can recognize it that quickly and be able to go and get a first down and be willing to make that throw even on third and nine, third and ten to maybe a four-yard route because you trust your guy and you saw the defense. And that's something Sam Ellinger has been able to do. Yeah, the expectations and the hype going into the season were sky high for Sam Ellinger. He hasn't felt the pressure at all. He hasn't been faced. He has lived up to them and then some through three games. So I guess my last takeaway, uh, I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the ball. You kind of took mine with Jake Smith. I agree 100%. That's a guy that needs to see the field. But my defensive takeaway was Keandre Coburn. That guy loves that guy loves football. You can you can just tell watching you can just tell watching him play how much energy he brings to the team, how much he loves to play, and how how his motor just continues to go. Now at six three six or six two six three and three thirty three forty. That's you know if you got a V8 motor hauling ten thousand pounds, that's still a little bit of work on that motor, no matter how strong it is. And that's kind of the situation with him. He still has to get some subs out for Tavondre Sweat and Moro Ajomo at this point. But when he's on the field, he's hard to block, and he was especially difficult for those Rice offensive linemen to block. Notched his first career sack, get up, gave a huge yell that you could hear off the field mic yep. or something like that. <laughs> it was it was crazy and. That's a guy that this Texas defense succeeds when you have a disruptive nose. You saw it in Puna Ford. They, he was the most disruptive nose, I think, that this defense has had. And while Chris Nelson was a solid defensive tackle, he wasn't the disruptor that Puna Ford was. And so a lot of the things that Texas defense was able to do successfully in 2017, they couldn't do in 2018 because of uh, the, the step down to Chris Nelson. Now, I'm not sure if Keandre Coburn's at Puna Ford levels yet. I don't know where he has it, he is in relation to Chris Nelson, but this is a guy where if he gets going and it's it's you got to put two people to stop 340 pounds. It's it's not that easy to do. Right. And if he's able to get that disruption and cause some havoc in the back like Puna Ford was able to do, you'll probably see some results for this defense that kind of looks similar to, similar to 2017. Yeah, that sack by Keandre Coburn was the first sack by a Texas defensive lineman this year. You know, you and I last week on this podcast were calling for a little bit more pressure from the defensive front. It felt like unless Texas brought extra men, unless they brought blitzers, they weren't going to get a whole lot in the backfield, wreak a whole lot of havoc in the backfield. But uh, we saw more of that against Rice, and you hope that continues moving forward. Yeah, Keandre Coburn Snacks is his nickname, right? We found that out this week. It's a great nickname for a defensive lineman. Gotta love that. My final takeaway, it's a minor one, but it could be a major one moving forward. Dicker the kicker, man. He's good. He's really good. Career-high 57-yarder 
right before the right before halftime on Saturday. Also hit a 46-yarder as well. Four or five this year on his field goals. All of them are 40 yards or longer. If you can get a college kicker to be 50% on 40 yards and out, that seems like a win. I mean, college kickers are about as inconsistent as it possibly gets. Cameron Dicker is only a true sophomore. We saw him make some big kicks. Of course, the winner against Oklahoma last year was huge. Uh, we saw some things from him, but he still missed a few. Wasn't always consistent. So far, it's been pretty damn good for Cameron Dicker. Made that big one against LSU that kept Texas in the football game. Made it 37-31 to with just a couple of minutes to go. And then, yeah, the fact that you know this guy can drill from 57, that would have been good from 60. I don't want to go complete overreaction and say, oh, that would have been good from 85. We don't have Amazon AWS advanced nah, stats. Yeah. We don't have that on the uh, on the CBS Sports Network broadcast for Texas Rice. But, man, I mean, you, you, you feel that anything from 60 in in a game-winning or game-tying situation that Cameron Dicker can knock it down for you. Yeah. And you feel that Tom Herbin actually trusts him, too, which I feel like is kind of a rarity for a coach to trust their kicker that much at this level. The last reliable kicker, very reliable kicker that Texas had was Anthony Farah. Mm-hmm. That was six years ago. And you go from him to Rose to Domain to Roland and or Rowland, whatever, and it's just <laughs> it's kicker purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> And that's not a great thing to have, especially when you have head coaches who so struggle. So many colleges are, are, I mean, look at Alabama, as dominant as they've been. Like, it is hard to find a really, really good kicker. And not only does Cameron Dicker have the leg, he's got that mentality. He, it, it doesn't seem like football affects him. It doesn't seem like anything affects him. And I know people say that about so many people, but or, or so many different athletes, about, oh, they don't get uh, bogged down by the, by the spotlight or anything like that. To me, and I I know this isn't the case because I know Cameron Dicker knows what he's doing, but to me, it just seems like he's like, all right, I'm going to go kick. All right, I'm back. And that any other details surrounding him, the 98,000 people, Mm -hmm. the the large bull, the cannon, the scoreboard, everything else around him just kind of isn't there. It's just... All right, I go to kick. All right, I kick. Good job. <laughs> I and, mean, and it seems like he's he's just it's that simple for him that it, it it almost doesn't matter what's going on around him. When you're on national TV right before the biggest kick of your life, Texas Oklahoma in a tie football game and the camera's on you and you're like winking and and nodding your head to the camera. I mean, that's that's as cool calm and collected as it gets right there. Yeah. That is uh you don't see that type of confidence in kickers very often. Cameron Dicker did that as a true freshman, and then he went out and actually nailed the kick, which is the important part. This guy's a different breed, man. And the fact that, once again, Tom Herman trusts him, and Tom Herman actually calls him his name, which is uh, sometimes actually call him Cameron Dicker, which I feel like is a rarity. I mean, even Michael Dixon, the All-American punter, he was always just a punter to Tom Herman. So the fact that Cameron Dicker gets his name mentioned by the head coach of this football team, I think it's telling as to how much Tom Herman trusts and how much he actually likes Cameron Dicker on his football team. So, all right, 48-13, to 13, Texas takes care of business against Rice. Now we switch to Big 12 Conference play in a big game coming up this Saturday at DKR. It's Texas. It's Oklahoma State. Uh, of course, the Cowboys have had the Longhorns number. Oak State has won four in a row against the Horns. They've won seven of nine against Texas. And also, they've won the last five meetings here in Austin. Texas hasn't defeated Oklahoma State in Austin since October 25th, 2008. Joe, you and I couldn't drive a car the last time Texas knocked off OSU. And it was when the Longhorns were number one in the country. It was Colt. It was Ship. It was Quan Cosby. And Oklahoma State was actually ranked number six Mm -hmm. in that game. 
They had Zach Robinson, Des Bryant was on that team, Brandon Pettigrew, Kendall Hunter. Was Des Bryant playing? Des Bryant was playing in ah, that game, okay. yes. No yeah. problems with the NCAA just yet for Des. That was a 28-24 win for Texas. That was the last time the Longhorns beat the Cowboys here in Austin. So it's been tough sledding against Oklahoma State. Texas opened as a seven-point favorite in this one, but the line is down to five and a half. So the the big betters out there buying into Oklahoma State, at least keeping this one interesting. How are you feeling? We're three days out. We're recording this on a Wednesday. We don't need an exact prediction just yet, but uh, considering how much the Horns have struggled against Mike Gundy, uh, how are you feeling about Texas this Saturday night? Of the past, what, four or five matchups like that you mentioned uh, specifically, this is probably the best I've felt because I feel like this Texas offense can move the ball on what might not be a very good Oklahoma State defense. There's some experience in the secondary, but I don't know how much talent there is in the secondary. And Texas should be able to not only run the ball, but use Sam Ellinger's arm to get them down the field as well. So, look, we, we know how lethal the uh, Oklahoma State – is it is it too far if I call them the triplets? No. Spencer Sanders and Chubba Hubbard and, and Tylen Wallace. It's, a, it's really a three-man show for yeah. them on offense. We, we know how, how lethal they are. I mean, uh, Tylen Wallace, Bolitnikoff finalist, Chubba Hubbard – as you mentioned, leading rusher Spencer Sanders, I believe, was Mr. Texas football in 2017. These are three really talented guys. But I feel like Texas has more talent across the board on offense and should be able to make you know, one or two defensive stops just because of that talent gap between the defenses because I don't think Oklahoma State has a defense that can hang with Texas for all four quarters. Yeah, that's the big issue with Oklahoma State. I mean, offensively, they are getting the job done. They're averaging nearly 50 points per game so far, which is ninth in the country. Uh, about 550 yards of total offense per game. They just haven't played anybody yet, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, they played Oregon State, McNeese State, and Tulsa. Two of those games actually on the road. They played in Corvallis, and they played in Tulsa this past weekend. Now there were a ton of Oklahoma State fans, so that didn't feel too much like a true road game. But uh, even though Oklahoma State hasn't played anybody as good as Texas yet, they have had to play in a couple of road environments to this point. They're really, really talented, and I don't think calling them the triplets is wrong at all. You look at how much, how influential these guys are to the success of their offense. I mean, Chuba Hubbard leads college football in rushing by almost 70 yards over number two. Tylen Wallace leads college football in receiving. I don't know if that's ever happened before, where through three weeks of a season, guys on the same team have led the country in rushing yards and receiving yards. That almost seems counterintuitive. That almost seems impossible. That's what Oklahoma State has with Hubbard and Tylen Wallace. And Tylen Wallace has 390 receiving yards through three games, Joe. The number two receiver on Oklahoma State is a guy named Dylan Stoner. Nice. Great name. Yeah, feels like he's been in college forever also. My God, he's the Perry Ellis of, of college football. He's got 88 yards receiving. That's more than 300 less than what Tylen Wallace has. So they've got two guys they want to give the ball to early and often, and it's going to be impossible to stop them. You don't shut those guys down. Hubbard and, and Wallace are just too good of players. But it's Todd Orlando's responsibility to find a way to contain them because clearly Tylen Wallace is Spencer Sanders' number one target, and clearly Oklahoma State puts an emphasis on giving the ball to Chuba Hubbard a lot. you got to find a way to slow those guys down if you want to have a chance to win this game. Yeah, despite being a, an air raid offense or being influenced by the air raid offense, just looking at, let's look at uh, Spencer Sanders. He has 24 passing attempts, 18 passing attempts, 22 passing attempts in these three games. Chuba Hubbard has 26 rushes, and then 8 rushes, and then 32 rushes. They are not afraid to let this guy 
basically carry the team on his back. Yeah. And he's stepped up to the occasion each and every time. He's aver- In those two games where he had more than 25 carries, he averaged at least eight yards a carry. That's, that's astronomical numbers. That's why he's the leading rusher in the NCAA right now. So this is, this is going to be one of the toughest offenses to stop. I've, I've, if you're looking for a comparison for Texas, for what a Texas player could be in Chubba Hubbard, that's Jordan Whittington. If Jordan Whittington at his peak seems like a guy that could be like Chuba Hubbard. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he's still going to be out for these next couple of weeks. But if you watched that state title game and you watched his film at Cuero and saw what he was able to do on the field, you're kind of seeing a little bit of that in Chuba Hubbard. I think obviously Chuba Hubbard's more, way more established than, than Jordan Whittington at this point. But that's kind of the comparison you're getting. And it's going to be tough. I think, like, like you mentioned, you're going to have to definitely have to stop both of these, both of these options. They're going to pound the rock for an air raid team, but they're also going to try and hit Tylen Wallace for the big play. And they were able to do that last year. They're able to do it this year. He's got five receptions in all three games for 15 total, but he's got more than 90 yards in each of those games. Yep. He is making big plays. He made big plays on Kobe Boyce, Chris Boyd, anybody who guarded him last year, he made big plays on anybody who's guarding him this year. He's making big plays on. There's definitely going to have to be some help to stop Tylen Wallace over the top. Yeah, you might have to straight double the guy. I mean, forget just throwing a safety over the top and clouding him. You might have to have two guys just on him all game long. Uh, that might be the game plan. I know that's not in Todd Orlando's nature. He wants to trust his cornerbacks to kind of stay on an island and play one-on-one man-to-man coverage, but that didn't work against LSU. And overall, LSU's receiving core, the receiving room, is better than Oklahoma State's. But Tylen Wallace is better than any wide receiver LSU has. And we saw how much those dudes dominated against Jalen Green and everybody in this Texas secondary. So it's going to be a tough task for the Longhorns. But, yeah, you cannot let Tylen Wallace go off. You can't have him go for 100 yards, 150 yards, and expect to win this football game. Now, with the Texas offense, Joe, the narrative has always been, always, over the last couple years it's been, uh, they can't get the big play. We heard it all last year, right? No plays of more than 50 yards. They finally broke that streak against LSU with that Brennan Eagles touchdown. That's not a problem for Oklahoma State. This year, through three games, the Cowboys have scored on touchdown runs of 53, 75, 30, 33, and 27 yards. And they've also scored on passing touchdowns of 90, 75, 69, 59, and 36 yards. They are big play specialists. They will take their shots with Tyler Wallace. Chuba Hubbard's fast enough to break one. They are lethal every time they touch the football. And you got to thank this Texas Longhorns passing defense, currently 125th in the country out of 130 teams. They give up 24 points per game, which is 62nd in college football. It's going to be a tough task for this defense. You know, we didn't learn a whole lot from them against Rice because it's Rice and they play an offense that nobody else plays here in 2019. This is a similar kind of setup to what LSU does. And the one... Biggest Achilles heel for Todd Orlando, I think, since he's taken over the defensive coordinator position at Texas. The one thing that's caused him the most trouble is running quarterbacks. It's mobile quarterbacks, and that's what Spencer Sanders is, and he's a pretty damn good one, too. So I don't want to be doom and gloom and say Texas has no chance because you're right. All across the board, the Longhorns have more talent than Oklahoma State. I don't even think it's very close in terms of overall talent. 
But Oklahoma State has those three guys who, if you're not ready for them, they will beat you, they will make you pay, and they will make you pay a lot. Yeah, you mentioned that downfield passing attack. That's been the staple of, of Oklahoma State's offense since Mason Rudolph was quarterback. They did it with Taylor Cornelius, and now they have a guy that can do it in Spencer Sanders, but he can also use his feet much better than both those other guys can. And that's a huge, like you mentioned, huge thing that Todd Orlando has struggled with just because you see a lot of these plays where the quarterback just gets lost. Yeah. And that's you, you have to coach that right. You have to make sure that that's in your game plan. You have to make sure it doesn't become something that kills you like it did with Taylor Cornelius, of all people, last year. Yeah, he was running Taylor all over this Cornelius. Texas defense. Exactly. So if that was an issue last year, it, it, it certainly pretends to be an issue again this year. Uh, but like you like you mentioned, there's a lot of different things to stop on this Oklahoma State offense. That downfield passing attack, it's, it's, their, it's what their calling card is. Mm-hmm. It, it is the air raid offense uh, with a lot of rushing, a lot of balance built in. But what they do better than anybody else who runs that offense is they take deep shots downfield to fast receivers who can go up and get the ball. And if even if Texas has help – you're gonna have these. You're gonna have to have guys make plays on the ball. That was something that we heard throughout fall camp that Texas's defensive back struggled making plays on the ball at times. This is about as good a time as any for that problem to go away, or at least so show signs of being fixed. Pass interference in this it's game fine. is not a bad play. It's not a bad play because it's college football. It's not a spot foul. It's 15 yards. It. There's going to be times, I don't know if Todd Orlando would ever advise this in practice, but there's going to be times where, hey, Tyler Wallace is going to beat you. It's just going to happen. The ball's in the air. If you realize you're screwed, just take him down. 15 yards, you take it. That might be, I mean, Tulsa, who was who Oklahoma State played last week, they were doing that almost intentionally. They got beat by Tyler Wallace. They were just taking that 15-yard penalty. And Tulsa was actually up at halftime in that game, 21-20. to They played a lot of press coverage, a lot of bump-and-run coverage against the Oklahoma State receivers. It really worked in the first half, so I'm curious if Todd Orlando does that this weekend. you got to make Spencer Sanders beat you, though. I mean, he's a redshirt freshman, and he's never played in a game like this. Yeah, he's played two road games, I mentioned that, but he's never played in an environment like the University of Texas. He hasn't played a team as good as the University of Texas. Chuba Hubbard's a stud. We've known that. He's awesome. Tyler Wallace is great, but make the redshirt freshman quarterback beat you. And last week against Tulsa, he was inconsistent. I mean, in the first half, he was completing 50% of his passes, had an interception. He looked a little bit rattled against Tulsa on the road in that atmosphere. I want to do whatever I can. I want to bring pressure. I want to make life miserable for Spencer Sanders, force him into a couple of bad decisions. Maybe you create some turnovers and some short fields for your team. That needs to be the game plan. It should be the game plan for Texas for every opponent. They tried with Joe Burrow. It didn't really work. Spencer Sanders is not Joe Burrow. Mm-hmm. He's not there yet. So you've got to find a way to pressure him and force him into some bad decisions. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did notice is that Spencer Sanders is their second leading rusher he right is. now. So making, well, to your point of make Spencer Sanders beat you, it's not just make Spencer Sanders beat you. It's make Spencer Sanders beat you through the air. We know how talented he is on now the ground. Are you going Caleb on Chase on here? Oh, we know he can run, but he can't beat us with his arm. Is that where you're going? Yeah, I am. There you I'm go. gonna go ahead and do it. I and agree. It, so and if I, I mess up, I'll just fall to the ground and come <laughs> get some the trainers to help me out. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. No, he's he's a really talented player. And once again, mobile quarterbacks. It's been the problem for Todd Orlando. You're gonna have to keep somebody on spy on him all game long. I wonder who that guy's going to be. It might be a defensive back, which is not normally what you would do. You would think you just put a linebacker on there, but because of the speed that Spencer Sanders has, you might have to give I don't know a Chris Brown. Or somebody like that. Maybe a Josh Thompson. Who knows? Somebody is going to have to be on spy 
on Spencer Sanders almost at all times. And uh, real quick on Chuba Hubbard, man, because I don't think this guy's a household name by any stretch. I, I was just Googling his name, and there's not a whole lot of stories about this kid, even though Canadian, he's leading right? college football and rushing. He's Canadian, and this guy was a globally accomplished sprinter going up. So when you say track speed, sometimes you just throw that around for a football player. No, this guy's got it. He competed in the 2015 IAAF World Youth Championships in Colombia, like the country Colombia, and he finished fourth overall in the world in the 100 meter. He ran a 10-5 as a 15-year-old running the 100 meter dash. So this guy's fast as all hell. Only a three-star recruit in high school. How about this? It's pretty interesting. He was the 23rd ranked running back in the class of 2017. Number 24 that year was Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin. And uh, Texas got a running back in that class. That was Tennille Carter, ah. who was ranked number 10. Sam Houston State's Tennille so, Carter. So, yeah, Sam Houston State, great. Tennille Carter, absolutely. So, didn't have a whole lot of hub, love as a football player coming out of high school. More people wanted him as a track star, and Oklahoma State is allowing him to do both. But uh, Chuba Hubbard has figured something out, man. He has become a really, really good running back. And when he hits the hole, he hits it with speed. He's a patient runner. He's got sort of the Le'Veon Bell, like he'll wait for the hole to develop. But, man, he is so fast. If he hits that hole with some speed, you're not going to catch up to him. Mm-hmm. He, he will get away from anybody on just about any defense in college football. He's a special player. He's a special player, and he's averaging eight yards per carry this year. I mean, that's damn near a first down every time he touches the football. So, all right, Oklahoma State, their defense isn't good. Are you confident in Texas's offense? I mean, we saw Sam Ellinger in the second half against LSU, which is one of the best defenses in the country. Didn't show it necessarily against Texas, but I still think they are. We saw the Longhorns not have any trouble moving the football and putting up points against the Tigers. You feel confident about Sam Ellinger in this offense on Saturday against OSU? I do, but with one small caveat. I think that, obviously, you want Zach Shackelford back at center. If Derek Kerstetter is your center, you feel okay. If Denzel Okafor is your right tackle, you feel okay. But you would definitely feel a lot better with Zach Shackelford at center than Derek Kerstetter at right tackle. Yep, And that's... That's something that we're going to have to wait and see. It may be something that we find out uh, as you're, the day you're listening to this at Tom Herman's Thursday press conference where he usually announces availabilities of injuries and stuff like that. I would feel much, much more confident in Texas if, if the normal starting five was there. But at the same time, I still feel like the guys that they – if they don't march a normal starting five, and it is Kerstetter and Okafor – at center and right tackle, they'll still be able to hold their own. Yeah, you feel good about the depth on this Texas offensive line. We've talked about that on this podcast, and we've talked about it all offseason long on the Horn and at Inside Texas. You know, Maybe there's only six guys that you feel great about on the offensive line for Texas, but that's good. You know, So far, Texas hasn't needed more than six. Right. And yeah, Zach Shackelford's a beast. He's a captain. He's one of the team leaders. He is that leader on the offensive line. You want him out on the field. But we have seen Derek Kerstetter play some center during his time at Texas. And we have seen Denzel Okafor. We know what he's, we know what we've got with him. And we know that there's enough talent on this offensive line to make up for that loss uh, if Zach Shackelford can't go. But I'm with you. Shaq's a big part of this offense. But, man, Oklahoma State's defense, I just don't think they're very good. Uh, they're never that good, but they, they missed a lot of tackles in that Tulsa game that I watched. Tulsa ran all over them in the first half, especially straight up the gut. So I wonder if Texas tries to get Keontae Ingram and or Roshan Johnson the ball early. And uh, just feed them straight up the middle and see if you can pick apart that Oklahoma State defense there. They do have one really talented corner in A.J. Green. Uh, He was my pick for preseason Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. Didn't win that, but he was on the All-Big 12 first team or All-Big 12 preseason team. He's really talented, so that's a matchup probably with Colin Johnson. 
That'll be worth watching on Saturday. But Texas has just so many more weapons on offense that Oklahoma State can match with on defense. So I think it's going to be a shootout, man. I don't know if you can be that confident in this Texas defense with what we've seen from this team in the one game where they went up against a formidable offense in LSU. They look terrible. And I, I don't know if there's any defense in college football that can really shut this Texas offense down the way the Longhorns are playing. And if there is, it's definitely not Oklahoma State. Uh, the over-under right now is 72. I think this thing is going over that. And I realize that's potentially both teams at least 35, 36 points. But uh, I'm expecting a shootout on Saturday. And it's hard to not like Texas's chances with the way that this offense has performed so far this year. Yeah, and then you're also getting a night game again. Yep. You're getting a home game. You're getting a sellout. This is setting up as about as well as it could for Texas. This is basically the opposite of what it was last year. I think last year was like Barry Sanders Day. It was. It was the same like thing. That. Saturday Wearing night, ABC. Throwbacks. Yep. This was everything set up well for Oklahoma State last year. Uh, and it did set up well for Texas. They just didn't get the job done. Now this year, you're at home. You're coming off a win. Conference play starting. This is your best chance to beat a team that's – Probably still figuring some things out with a freshman quarterback since you're getting them earlier in the year. This is your opportunity to take advantage of that scheduling, to beat them before this team starts to improve, gel, get a little bit better under Spitzer Sanders. You can still rattle a guy who is pretty young right now and hopefully get to him and and 98,000 others get to him as well. Yeah, balls to the wall, lay it all out there. You've got to buy next week. This is uh, all systems go for Texas against Oklahoma State. Lost four in a row to this team. Three of those four were by three points, including last year. It was 38-35. Texas wins that game last year if Chris Boyd and Devontae Davis aren't suspended for the first quarter. Remember that? And little Jordan Humphrey was suspended for a series. But those two Texas defensive backs, the two starting corners, were suspended for the first quarter. I think Oklahoma State had 14 points and was driving and quickly scored a third touchdown at the start of the second quarter. And that was it. Texas was playing catch-up all night long. They almost did it. They came back and made it a three-point game in the fourth quarter. But the Oklahoma State scored a dagger touchdown with a few minutes left. Texas has been close. And do you want to get into this? Do we have time to get into this? What's happened the last four years Texas and Oklahoma State have played? Do you want to touch this year? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it. So I mentioned it last year. In Stillwater, Texas came in number six in the country. It was in the midst of that six-game winning streak, right? That included the victory over Oklahoma. You mentioned the Barry Sanders night at OSU, the Saturday night ABC primetime game. Yeah, it was 24-7. to early in the second quarter, and the Longhorns were down 31-14 to at halftime. Valiant comeback effort for the Horns in the second half. They cut it to 31-28, but uh, gave up a touchdown with just under six minutes to play. Texas scored but couldn't recover the onside kick, and you mentioned it earlier, Joe. Taylor Cornelius had a dagger, like a third and eight, and he had a run to pick up the first down to put the icing on the cake. It's been a problem. Uh, Taylor Cornelius, that guy was a big-game quarterback, man. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma State was only 6-6 six and six last year, but they beat Texas. They beat West Virginia. They were a two-point conversion away from beating Oklahoma on the road last year. I don't know what it was about that dude, but he played well in big games. But uh, that was a frustrating one for Texas, and one that you felt like the Longhorns had the opportunity to win, and they let it slip away. Yeah, I watched uh, that game unfold in the bathroom at a wedding on my phone. Oh, wow. Yeah. So How long were you in the bathroom, man? Yeah, as long as the fourth quarter was. I had to watch the game. People were probably very concerned with you, man. Well, then I brought my phone out to the dance floor, and everybody was very thankful because they wanted ah, to watch the game, too. There you go. It including wasn't uh, the you bride and, a, Oh, nice. Including the bride and groom. They Ooh. wanted to know what was going on. What are they doing getting married during football season? Yeah. What kind of friends are they? Yeah. 
You can say it. Huh? It's a podcast. Who knows if they're listening to this? I'll say it. They're Terrible right. French. No, Terrible not, French. Not at all. We'll get married during football season. Come on. Not at all. Especially a big game like that. But we'll get married during the Kansas game. That's fine. Don't get married during well, Oklahoma State and Stillwater. Apparently. Yeah. Uh-huh. But no, that was a that was a tough game because, like you mentioned, it was in the midst of that streak. Number six. I forgot about yeah. that. Like <laughs> over, you know, Tom Herman talks about that team overachieving. That's overachieving by a. a considerate amount that's almost entering playoff talk which is wild considering they lost to Maryland but yeah that was it it was just kind of that perfect storm you had the suspensions you had everything going on for Oklahoma State at night you had the experienced quarterback put on one of the games of his life it was tough and it probably it didn't totally detract from Texas this season because they were still able to make it to Arlington but that was a tough that was a game Texas had multiple chances to win and, and didn't. Yeah, absolutely. Two years ago in Austin, it was the punt fest. Game that went to overtime, 13-10, to the final score. Oklahoma State got the victory. Texas played an unreal defensive game against Mason Rudolph, Justice Hill, James Washington, those triplets at Oklahoma State. Uh, that was when the lightning package was unveiled by Todd Orlando, and Oklahoma State had no answer. They came into that game as the number two offense in college football, averaging about 49 points per game. Texas held them to 10 in regulation. Went to overtime. Cowboys got the ball first. They kick a field goal. So Texas has a shot to win. They've got a third and four from the Oklahoma State six-yard line, and Sam Ellinger throws a terrible interception in the end zone. Uh, That was the ball game right there. Maybe the worst pass of Sam Ellinger's Texas career. He had gotten hit hard a couple of plays earlier. I'm not sure Sam Ellinger should have been on the field at that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colin Johnson was not on the field for some reason. That was when Texas was playing musical chairs with their wide receivers in the first year of Tom Herman. Uh, that game sucked. Obviously, Texas had a chance. They sent it to overtime. But just another example of the Longhorns finding a way to shoot themselves in the foot against Oklahoma State. Yeah, failed slot fade to Gerard Hurd, of all people. Yeah, that, that, what are you doing running that out. play? That and I think that game and as well uh, the Texas Tech game from Sam's freshman year, two two games where he really didn't perform very well. Mm-hmm. And that one really hurt because, like you mentioned, you bring this number two offense in, you just nothing. They can't do a single thing. And there's no officials interfering like there might have been a couple of years prior, which <laughs> yeah. we'll get into. Yep. It's just a flat-out defensive shutdown uh, of both teams because Texas's offensive line was particularly terrible that season. So that was a tough one to handle because there was so much promise with Sam Ellinger, especially right after that USC game uh, where he had led a, a valiant effort that didn't end in a victory. Sam Darnold outplayed him uh, or had the, had the ball last, it seems like. Um, but there was a lot of confidence in Sam Ellinger that, you know, maybe maybe this is the freshman that can get it done. And no knock to Shane Bouchelle, but maybe this is the guy who can rally this team. Mm-hmm. And in the aftermath of this game, it became a question. It, it really was a question. And then especially after that Texas Tech game later in the year, it was continued to be a question. Uh, but as we all know, he's, he's answered it since then. Uh, this is probably going to be a game that, because of that instance a couple of years ago, Sam Ellinger – you know, he wants to win them all. Yeah. But this is a game and an opponent opponent he wants to write the ship against. Well, nobody sure. on this Texas roster has beaten Oklahoma State, right? Right. I mean, you know, the senior class, I know Sam's not a senior, but the senior class really wants to find a win against the Cowboys. You know, Sam Ellinger wants some revenge as well. So that was two years ago on the trip down memory lane, the last four losses to the Cowpokes. Three years ago in Stillwater, game you were at. Were you at this game three years ago? Uh, 
Yeah. Okay. Maybe not all all my mental faculties were there for that game. Oh, a little uh, pregame tailgate got to you? Yeah, let's go with that. I've been there. We've all been there a couple of times. Well, I don't know if Texas was there for that game. 49-31 was the final, uh, was the conference opener, and the thing that sticks out from that one, the Longhorns had three extra points blocked in that one game. Trent Domain was the kicker, but it wasn't really his fault. Three extra point blocks in one game. I could still hear Mike Patrick, who was the TV announcer for that game, going, holy cow! Every time that happened, uh, that was a mess. And that was a Bouchelle swoops game. The combination at quarterback, that didn't work. Uh, Mason Rudolph was the quarterback for the Pokes. He balled out. It was kind of a closed game throughout much of the first half, but Texas fell apart and got killed by Oklahoma State 49-31. to That's the only blowout in this last four-year stretch because I mentioned it. The other three games, they were three-point games. Mm-hmm. And four years ago was the Charlie Strong official bump game. Maybe the worst officiated game in the history of college football. Even if you're the biggest Texas hater out there, you had to realize that the Longhorns were getting screwed in that contest. Texas had 16 penalties for 128 yards in that game. Oklahoma State had 40 yards of penalties in that entire contest. I almost thought like Red McCombs had paid off the officials to go against Texas in that game. That's really what I thought was happening there. But uh, it it was a disaster. Texas got screwed. Somehow almost won, but Oklahoma State kicked a field goal at the end of regulation to get the victory. Paul Scipio's post following this game on Barking Carnival. Okay. The headline is, Phantom Calls from Corrupt Officiating Crew Bury Texas Longhorns. Great description. And the subheader is, As if we needed more data points on leaving this backwater league. Oh. Are we still leaving the Big 12? Is that going to happen? I hope. We should go independent. No, nah, I'm Team another, Big 12. I'm Team a, Big 12. Come another, on, man. That's another argument for another We're day. not the ACC or the Pac-12. We're doing but, fine. But that is one of the most well-known, pretty level-headed, knows what he's talking about in his criticisms and, 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 his, and his compliments, You know, doesn't really often descend into, oh, it was the officials. And it was basically, how can you let all this happen? Yeah. How do you call defensive holding on a run? How do you <laughs> yep. how do you bump into a head coach? How do you do all these different things? How do you what was it? There was a fumble that Texas recovered that they gave to Oklahoma State yep. somehow. That was that was probably one of the most infuriating games I've ever attended live. I felt I felt very strongly <laughs> leaving that game. I I don't remember too many of the details about leaving that game, but I think there were several times during that season where I, I walked out as a student saying it shouldn't be this hard to win at the University of Texas. I don't think this game was one of them, considering all the stuff that the officials did. It no. was, it's going to be hard to win, no matter who you are, if the officials do that. Yeah, the fact that Texas was even close in that game. Uh, they were clearly the better team that year, and the officials just took over. Yeah, ref ran into Charlie Strong, like went out of his way, changed his path along the Texas sideline, bumped into Charlie, and flagged him for unsportsmanlike conduct. It was absurd. Walt Anderson heard about it at Big 12 Media Days, too. Yes, I do remember that. Ah, Big 12 Media Days. Always love hearing the head of officiating speaks. Got so many great things to say. He and Bullsby, a lot of energy coming for both of those guys. Uh, That game, people forget because the officiating was the story. Texas got the ball with like two minutes to go in a tie football game. They went three and out, and Michael Dixon had a negative six-yard punt. 
the only mess up of his Texas yeah. career. Dropped the snap. It was his freshman year. Picked, dropped the snap. Picked it up. Kicks it, it left footed. Yep. And just kicks <laughs> yeah. it straight to the sideline. Negative six yards. So Oklahoma State gets the ball back in Texas territory, and they move into field goal range and kick the field goal, and that was your ball game right there. So, God, it's been frustrating going up against these fools from Oklahoma State. And Texas hasn't beaten OSU in Austin since 2008. Five in a row for the Cowboys. That's longer than any other streak. No other team has won five in a row in Austin against Texas. It's Oklahoma State, and that streak, of course, is active. Longhorns looking for some revenge on Saturday. You got a prediction? You know, I'm going to go. What did you say the over-under was? 72, 72, last I checked. Yep. I'm going to go. Might just be the under. Might be 38-31. I'm going to go with okay. Texas, 38-31. 69 total points. Yeah. Nice work there. So you think the Longhorns will cover the five and a half? I think they do. Man, I don't feel great about this game. I picked Texas to go 9-3 and three before the year, and I was wondering what that third loss is going to be. Now, I think Texas beats Oklahoma in a couple of weeks, barring a crazy change with either of these two teams. But I, I thought LSU was going to beat Texas. I'm worried about at Iowa State or at Baylor or at TCU. I feel like Texas is going to drop one of those. And there's just one other game on the schedule that I couldn't quite put a finger on that would cause a problem for Texas. And the Longhorns have a lot more talent than Oklahoma State. I don't, I'm going to pick Texas to win, but I think it's going to be like a Dicker the Kicker game-winning field goal. Like 40-37 to 37 or something like that. Or 41-38. It's a classic Big 12 game. Just a classic Big 12 shootout. You're going to be frustrated as hell watching this Texas defense again. Uh, I, I don't have any confidence in this group. And I trust Todd Orlando. Maybe he's turned some things around, but just the personnel and the injuries that this team has, I'm not sure if they're good enough to go up against this Oklahoma State defense offense and really perform. But uh, I like the Longhorns' chances in a shootout. I think Texas will get it done. I think they'll have the ball last, and they'll find a way to win this game. Close, but uh, the Longhorns end the streak. They end the drought against Oklahoma State. That's why you have the kicker. That's why you have the kicker. Dicker the kicker. All right, what do you want to hit here? You've got uh, you tease something at the start of the show, a little baseball conversation yeah. perhaps to wrap this up. So I have been to a grand total of one game at Globe Life Park. I believe it was an Angels game. Uh a couple of years ago, I distinctly remember uh, Bud Norris, former Astro, pitching yeah. for the Angels and was very surprised he was still still in the league. <laughs> I know Globe Life Park is a you know a place where so many memories have, have happened for not only people in DFW, but for any Texas Rangers fan. Uh, they were hot and sweaty the whole time, I'm sure, but it's, it holds a special place, and, and not only it... Uh, the 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 field before it as well uh, the names escaping me uh, where where the Rangers used to play at was it Municipal Park uh, like Arlington that? Stadium Arlington was Stadium the old one, right huh? uh, and this this was a replacement you know I think George Bush I believe as owner had a major role in in building the stadium it's been the home of the Rangers best teams whether it was the the end of the uh, the aughts early teens or some of those divisional title teams in the nineties this has been where the best Rangers teams have played. So as the Rangers are getting ready to move from Globe Life Park across the street to Globe Life Field. (laughs) Very creative with the name, Rangers. Good job. I'm curious, considering I only have one game memory there, and it's of Bud Norris pitching in an Angels uniform. Who won that game? You remember? I think the Angels actually won that game. for the Rangers. Uh, But I think this was two years ago. Okay. Um, What is your favorite or lasting or, or best memory of Globe Life Park in Arlington? Mm, tough one. Man, I've been to a lot of games at the Temple 
what we like to call it, the temple. It's very holy. It's a very religious building up there. Sponsored um, by Cholula. <laughs> yep. You know, it's obviously the runs to the World Series in 2010 and 2011 were, were special. And I was in attendance for a couple of those games in the playoffs. Uh, I got to see Game 5 in the 2011 World Series in which the Rangers took a 3-2 lead over the, the, the Redbirds. Also got to see Game 6 and Game 7 in person. Made that trip up to St. Louis. I will never step foot in that city ever again. Still hurts from that. But uh, obviously those playoff runs, man, uh, the Nelson Cruz walk-off Grand Slam against the Tigers was a fun one to be at. That was a special game in the 2010 playoff run for the Jurors. And you're right. I mean, this franchise, they're as bad as it gets in Major League Baseball. I mean, they didn't win their first playoff series until 2010. The first playoff series, let alone, you know, winning a pennant and getting to the World Series and actually competing for championships. So, yeah, the best days for the Texas Rangers have been in Globe Life Park. There's no question about that. Uh, 2012 was our senior year of high school, and I grew up in the Metroplex. A buddy and I, we spent all of our summer job money and bought season tickets, uh, and we probably went to 50 of the 81 Rangers home games. It's like a 30- to 45-minute drive out there from where we live, so it wasn't very close. But uh, we did it, and we parked... The parking pass was more expensive than the ticket itself, like almost twice as much. And we're like, dude, we don't want to pay for this. So we found an abandoned synagogue, speaking of the temple, we found an abandoned (laughs) temple, parked our car there. It was like a mile walk away. And for a while, we had those Razor scooters. You remember those things? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had them. We keep them in our car. Oh, seriously? I'll show you later. Oh, man, that's that's an unfortunate story. But uh, we would ride them. To the stadium, and we'd park them like under a bridge. Okay, maybe a five-minute walk from the stadium, and they for like twenty games that worked. And one time we did it, parked at the temple, rode the scooter to that bridge, left it there, and then we came back to ride the scooter, and it was gone. Both both scooters were gone. Somebody had jacked them. So we ended up walking the rest of the year there. But uh, man, having season tickets was pretty cool. And I've been to—I don't want to say a thousand. That's probably too much, but. Hundreds, I mean, more than 500 games at that ballpark uh, since its inception. It's hot as all hell. Yeah. You know, there's nothing super special about it, but it's a fine ballpark. Uh, it's only 25 years old. It's crazy to me that they're getting a new one, but uh, the retractable roof is obviously nice. It's going to increase the value of the franchise. Hopefully you're going to be able to get more free agents to sign there because they're not having to deal with the summer heat in the DFW Metroplex. But uh it will be missed, and I think I'm going to try to go up there next weekend because the Longhorns have a bye. That's the final home series against the Yankees. I'm going to try to go up there one more time. Maybe I shouldn't say one more time because it's going to be the home of the XFL's Dallas Renegades next year. I was about to say, year, you can so. go see Coach Stoops. I can Coach go see Renegades. Coach Stoops, yep, but uh, for Rangers baseball, uh, yeah, I'll probably get up there next week, but uh, it will be missed, man. There's no doubt about that. A lot of history, more history for opposing teams probably than uh, than the Rangers, but uh, good times had at the Temple. My favorite movie, my favorite baseball movie was filmed there. What's that? The Rookie with Dennis Quaid. That's your favorite baseball movie? That, I something about that movie. Ah, overrated, man. Really? Yeah, didn't like it that much. Oh, where you go throw seventy nine and then the the radar? Yeah, goes, the radar no, ninety nine. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's uh, an overrated movie. Oh, man, I didn't know that the was Rays filmed. Won. Yeah, that's that's probably right. Devil I didn't know. Rays. I didn't know the. Uh, they should still be the Devil Rays, by the way. We need to. Uh, we need to get that back. But uh, I didn't know they filmed that at Globe Life Park. I think they did. Okay. I mean, there are scenes where he Dennis Quaid's uh, in the bullpen warming up there. Nice. And all the. I think it was like big. Not Big Sandy. That's a real town. Uh, wherever, whatever the town in uh, the rookie. Okay. They they you know 
it's in Texas, and he gets goes through the Devil Rays system, and he gets finally gets an appearance, I believe, in, in a Rangers game nice. at, at Globe yep. Life yep. Park. So. Okay, that's coming back to me now. Yeah, Rangers next weekend. I'll probably go, and then Billy Joel's got a concert there in a few weeks. They, All that guy does is sell out, and they planned it uh, during the playoffs before the year, so the Rangers kind of knew. Yeah, we're probably not going to be in the postseason this year. But, Thank you, John Daniels. Yeah, right. All right, any final thoughts? You've got Texas with the win by seven over Oklahoma State on Saturday. I've got Dicker the kicker with a game-winning field goal, but the Longhorns win. Any final thoughts before we wrap up Episode 3 of the 1-0 Podcast, Joe? None at all. Thank you for listening. And as always, send us an email at everyone gets a trophy. Every, the number one, gets a trophy at gmail.com. Yeah, i got to remember the damn password. Hardy forgot the password for uh, for our Gmail account. Do you have it off the top? Oh, I probably shouldn't say it on the air, but uh, we'll figure it out afterwards. We'll check those emails. If you want to sponsor this podcast as well, shoot us an email there. Uh, follow Joe on Twitter at josephcook89. You can follow me at Brad Kellner. And once again, please like this podcast. Give it five stars on iTunes and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcast. man. We've got this on SoundCloud as well, so check them out there. And also check out the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast with Kevin Dunn and Paul Wadlington. And once again, this episode brought to you by AV Consultations and Altstadt Beer. All right, that's going to do it. Thanks so much for listening. Episode 3 of the 1-0 podcast. Until next time, y'all have a great night and hook them.